This is Ross Domini from Shadowgraph. We offer a sci-fi look into a chaotic world through a weekly podcast and films on YouTube. Through a blend of video journalism, documentaries and the fictional-like worlds that sit in between, we take our audience into the heart of the pressing issues of our times. Is this the future or are we already here? In this episode, we're going to talk about the peripheries of time and trauma. I'm very happy to host my friend, Anastasia Taylor Lind. She's a photojournalist and a poet. This poem's called Welcome to Donetsk, and it is written to my long-term reporting partner, Alisa Sopova. It details a walk that we took back in 2015 when she had asked if um, I would like to see her old neighbourhood. Welcome to Donetsk. You teach me this wartime trick to look for living pot plants in the windows on Kievska Avenue. Most are crisped and brown, but one green geranium and a succulent spider plant offer proof of life for the person who waters them. Whole apartment blocks are abandoned, collapsed telephone lines, blown up branches, litter the road. No voices, no tinkering metalwork in the distance, no buses, no playing children. Leaves rustle white noise. You say, it's like Sunday every day. Stray dogs and swallows and the soft thud of shelling. Photography and poetry is my framework for moving through the world. For the last 10 years, I've mostly been working in Ukraine and mostly in the Eastern Donbass region. And while I'm there, uh, I spend these days about 50% of my time reporting using a camera, so making photographs, and about 50% of my time reporting poems, so making notes um, in real time of the things that I'm seeing and hearing and feeling. And how do you feel, Anastasia, being split between different realities? I guess I spend a lot of my time um, with my body in one place and my mind in another. I do think a lot and and practice holding in my mind sort of many different realities simultaneously. The conflict in Ukraine has displaced over 3.6 million people and forced 6.3 million others to seek refuge abroad. Meanwhile in Gaza, there is no refuge and 160 children are killed every day. So while we're sitting here in peaceful Stoke Newington, I know that this experience isn't 
one that people in Ukraine or in Congo or in Gaza are, are able to have right now. And when I'm in somewhere like Donbass, where people's lives are really catastrophically altered by the proximity of violence, I know that there are also peaceful communities living safe and um, joyous lives in other places in the world. So knowing that all these things happen, happen simultaneously is, I don't think it's a curse, I do think it's a gift actually. And of course it's not great from a psychological perspective to ha always have my mind and my body separated. Our experiences of life are simultaneous to the existence of others. I think they're the same reality. They're not different realities. It's all our world, it's all the human experience. Just because this is my experience in this moment doesn't mean it, it's the same for everyone else and it always will be for me either. When we've been filled with the images from multiple realities, how does the subconscious respond? If dreaming is my brain's way of processing what's happened to me in that day, I notice um, an increase in the frequency and the intensity of dreams while I'm working, while I'm out reporting. Um, and the things that I see and hear and experience show up in my dreams also. Um, one very acute example is um, after I was injured in a missile strike last summer in Donbass, uh, my sleep was very severely affected for a couple of months afterwards and I would have a reoccurring dream where I woke up at the moment of the missile impact as, as the missile exploded and could feel the secondary fragmentation flying into me and could feel the blast wave and could hear the sounds. Well, one of the things I learned was that in um, immediate trauma response, my body uh, is able to take in a massive amount of information quicker than my conscious brain can. Um, and, and I since discovered actually that in, in moments like that, and this was certainly my experience, that the... You know, the part of my brain that deals with what I'm going to get from the supermarket on the way home and holds all of this information about the email that I need to reply to later, all this non-essential information, that part of our brains completely shuts down. It's like the survival mode, fight or flight. Um, and so in those moments, in that moment, um, my body... And I mean my body, not my brain, was able to 
take in a vast amount of information very, very quickly about what was happening and what I needed to do in order to um, get myself out, that myself and, and my translator, Dima, out of that situation. It's not exactly that time slowed down. I've heard people talk about being in dangerous situations before and describing everything and going in slow motion. That wasn't my experience. It's just that very quickly my, I was able to cognitively know there is a cruise missile coming towards us. It's probably coming, going to come down on top of our heads. What I need to do is to throw myself onto the floor in this moment. I closed my eyes. The impact hit. I felt all the secondary fragmentation going into my left side. I felt blood running down my face. I opened my eyes and checked. My first thought was check my left leg is, I don't, you know, do I need a tourniquet? Check my left arm. I could feel where the injuries were. And once I'd done that, check my translator, Dima. He has a head injury. He needs, I need to look at it. I need to apply pressure. And Dima was saying, we need to get to the basement. There might be a second strike. And he pulled me, physically pulled me up. So what I'm describing there is maybe one second. I knew this. I've known this since the full-scale Russian invasion that the front line really is everywhere in Ukraine. It's everywhere. You can be like I was in that instance, sitting in a peaceful pizza restaurant, surrounded by children and families in an environment that doesn't look anything unlike a restaurant uh, on the high street here in Stoke Newington. And it could be, as it was in my mind, the definition of a peaceful place. And in a split second, that space was transformed into the epicenter of a war zone. The idea that war and peace exist independently of each other, that are mutually exclusive, isn't true either. Peace, peaceful life can continue in between um, war and violent conflict. And also what I know to be true is that when wars end, as designated by the zone or the ceasefire or a date, they don't really end for the people who experience them. I don't think wars end for the people who experience them until they die. You know, the last time I went to visit my grandma who was in her mid-90s, in a nursing home in the south of England. She was crying about her brother who'd been, who she believed had just uh, been killed in Libya in the Second World War. And what do you think about when you're back in London, in your flat, for example? Well, I still think I live on the top floor. And you know, if, if there are missile strikes, top floor isn't the best place to be. It'd be better to have an apartment on the ground floor. And I still think sometimes, well, the, win the bathroom is the room in my apartment with the least windows, so that would be the best place to hide. 
These aren't involuntary thoughts that creep in. Uh, hypervigilance is certainly one symptom of trauma, and I don't think about it all the time. But I do try to remember that the reality in places like Ukraine are overlaid in my consciousness, in my reality here when I'm at home. I'd like to ask you about the difference between you as a foreign reporter and your Ukrainian colleagues who are living there. Well, it's, it's incomparable. Storytellers who are reporting what's happening to their own countries, their own communities, their own families, and to their own everyday lives have a completely different perspective to someone like me who lives here in Hackney and chooses to move into another space where really difficult things are happening and to document them. It's a choice always for me to go and it's a choice uh, when I leave. And that isn't a privilege that Ukrainian photographers and poets and artists have. I'd like to end this interview by asking you what things you do to help with your own trauma that you've got from your line of work. Talk, talk about everything, be connected to people around you. So, so essential for me. Practice gratitude. Like I can shift my entire perspective on the world and on my life and on myself by focusing on the things that I'm grateful for rather than the things that I don't want in my life. I mean, it's such a simple thing, isn't it? Just change the way you think and the world around you changes. It's true, it's not so easy to change. I, my experience hasn't been that it's so easy to change the way my, I think, but I do try. Rest. Well, thank you very much for sharing that window into the peripheries of trauma. I hope this podcast is helpful to filmmakers, journalists, photographers, you know, especially people that are wanting to get into this profession because there is trauma in many different levels of what we do. So I'm very humbled that we were able to have this interview. I'd also like to thank uh, once again Max Bailey and Sonin who provided uh, the music that really nicely took us into the world of Anastasia's words. There is also my dear friend in Greece, Yorgos Triandafilou, who's done the outro and intro song for this podcast. If you like what we do, consider sharing the podcast and following us on Instagram, which is at shadowgraph underscore media. See you next time.